My name's Dan. I'm quite loud. And I'm pretty sure most of you can hear me if I whisper. There we go. Great. It's really good to be with you this morning. I'm going to be bringing our series in Proverbs to a close. We've been looking at this theme of good living, and we've explored some foundations and principles in life. We've looked at what it means to be good with our words, the things we say. We've looked at what it means to be Uh, good at work, to do good at work. We've looked at what it means to have a good attitude. Uh, We've looked at what it means to make good investments. And last week, we looked at what it meant to do good with regards to justice. I wasn't wasn't with you last week. It was actually my 30th birthday last Sunday, Um, but that wasn't the reason I was here. Um, The reason I was here is I I was at home in bed with a a chest infection. And um, yeah, you can get what sympathy. See, if I collapse on the floor coughing, you'll just have to bear with me whilst I pull myself together. And I'm doing much better now, um, but it was a shame not to, to hear what Matt had to say last week. So as we come to close, I want to speak to you about what it means to have good friends. And the verse from Proverbs we're looking at is this one here. It says this, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In fact, eight weeks ago, just before we launched 502, I preached on what it mean, uh, meant to have uh, joyful partnership. We had our whole series around joy, and we looked at this theme of partnership. And on the face of it, it can seem that partnership and friendship are one and the same. So maybe I'm going to say the same things. But actually, I'd say that partnership and friendship are different. When I preached eight weeks ago, 25 people were just about to leave here, Older Road, and move down to 502 and become part of their congregation there. Partnership is what allowed them to go and feel caught up on a mission straight away, to get stuck in knowing they're caught up on God's mission here on earth. And whilst joyful partnership will lead to friendship, and it's what we're called to as believers, just because I am a Christian, just because I'm a member of the church, just because I come and attend here at Older Road, just because I may go to your life group, doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be your friend. Sounds pretty sad, doesn't it? But actually, it's, and some of you might be relieved about that, <laughs> but actually, it's, it's much more simple than that. We don't have the capacity for limitless friends. It's just the way it is. In a group of this size, we don't have the capacity to be close, intimate, best buddies with everyone. Um, there's a guy we've referred to him a number of times. His name is Robert Dunbar, and he, he is an anthropologist. He studies uh, the, the, the relationship between primates, and he took his study of apes, and he started to ask questions about what, what it means to humans. And he said this. He said, the limit imposed by a neocortical processing capacity is simply on the number of individuals with whom stable interpersonal relationships can be maintained. And he came up with a model. It looks like this. Well, on my wall, it looks like a nice piece of modern art. And um, he said that this, he said, there is approximately 150 people, let's put that there, who we can have casual, ongoing friendship with, who we can get to know and we can enjoy spending time. He said the limit is about 150 people. It seems quite small, doesn't it, in terms of, actually, I know a lot of people, and actually, my 150 has a distinct makeup, but he he went on to say that there's a number of other kind of limits as well. He said that bigger than your 150, you're going to have about 500 acquaintances, 
people you know by name, people you would stop and say hello to, people you bump into on a regular basis, not just people who are Facebook friends, okay, people who you would spend some time chatting to, but not necessarily part of your 150. And then above that, he said, you know what, there's probably about 1,500 or so people who you can put names to faces. Now, I work in a school, there's roughly five to 600 people. That's a fair big chunk of my one half thousand already gone. And so it's getting to a point where I can start to realize that I can't have limitless friends. If we zoom in the other way, perhaps, and go take a step behind the 150, and this is where actually it gets more and more important, he said that you can have about 50 or so close friends, just about 50. The number's between 35 and 50. And he says those are the people you're going to socialize with. Those are the people you're going to go down the pub with or go out and play a round of golf with. Those are people who you're going to see on a regular basis, and it's going to be a fairly stable group of people you see over and over again. And then he says, actually, it gets a little bit more intimate than that. He says there's going to be about 15 or so people who you're going to call your intimate friends, your, your close friends. Those are the people who you're going to rely on when things go wrong. Those are people who are going to extend their hand and help you. Those are the people who you're going to share your life with on a more long-term basis. And then he says, actually, when you boil it all down, when you think about the 150 and the 50 and the 15, if you boil it all down, you get down to just five closest friends. Our capacity is to have five closest friends. And so in the context of church, in the context of this kind of setting, you may find some of your 15 in here, your closest friends. You may even find some of your five in this room or the people you socialize with in life groups and things like that. But not everyone in, the, in this room has to be or has the capacity to be best friends with everyone around them. You just don't have the capacity to maintain that kind of intensity of relationships. In the same way, however, we should be able to name most faces in this room. We should be able to put a name to a face. That's part of being acquaintances. We come to the same place every week, and we should be able to say, hey, I know who you are. You're an acquaintance. But don't be alarmed if I'm not your best buddy. Don't be alarmed if the person sitting next to you is not your best buddy. But we should find some of those in this room. And so that's what Robin Dunbar said. But one of the things that I know about friendship uh, is that they are complex. Um, there's just no, I wish there was, but there is just no hard and fast set of rules that if I follow them, I can make all my friendships work. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that for us. I wish it was that easy. You know, it's, it's, I think it's hardest for our children growing up. It's kind of a roller coaster of not knowing someone one day, and then the next day, they're best friends forever. It's why when I'm sitting down playing with my 15-month-old daughter, and I'm trying to teach her to share, that's a really difficult thing. And I often say to her, no, no Beth, here. Daddy's, daddy's not stealing from you. He's just helping you. He's playing. He's playing with you. And actually, it's really, really difficult. Now, as a teacher, I'm, I'm dealing with friendship issues every day. In fact, if I was to say the thing which takes most of my time, it's not planning lessons, it's not marking work, it's not um, 
kind of doing the day-to-day humdrum of life. It's dealing with friendship issues and phoning parents and trying to get to the bottom of why someone said this. And that's actually part of my job. It's why I love teaching. You know, teaching is really fun. It's really great to impart knowledge, but it's also great to be able to teach a child that they are in partnership with the class and that no matter how cool or how smart or how kind of top-notch that guy is, it doesn't matter who they are or where they think they, they, they kind of pit on the social ranking, ranking of life, they can be their friend. They can be their friend. So make them, make them see that meaningful and supportive friendships are important. Do you know, I, I use the phrase when I walk into work every day, and it's this, it says, you cannot write the script. My, my day, you, you literally can't write the script of my day. I walk in expecting to teach five lessons, um, but you can't write the script. And um, one, one lesson, I've changed the names um, just for their sake. I, I walked in and I had three answer phone messages from three different parents, which is always a bad sign. Um, because you know something's gone on which you've got to deal with. And I, and I ended up, by the end of the day, having... Um, kind of unpicked what was going on, sitting down with this girl who's 11 years old, and I had to say to her, it does appear that your best friend forever is now dating your ex-boyfriend. I'm I'm sorry. And it wasn't particularly helpful that your mum went round and shouted at her, was it? It wasn't a great model of how things were supposed to be. Friendship is, is complex. Growing up and making friends is hard. All children at some point are hurt by their friendships. And actually, that reality doesn't leave us when we become adults. When I become 18, when I turned 18 12 years ago, it didn't suddenly fix my friendships because I was an adult. In fact, I carried all of my hurts and all of my pains and all of my complexities that I I built up during my adolescence, and they just outplay during my adulthood. That's the way friendship works. And at some point in our lives, maybe... Probably, even in the last month, I would say that you've been let down by a friend, that your friends have disappointed you. Maybe it's a friend who has a tendency to never return your phone calls, never, never extends that friendship back. Maybe it's friends who've drifted apart. Maybe it's friends who've taken advantage of you. Maybe it's that you feel like you've got no friends. If we look at our lives as a model of what good friendship should be, then we're not going to get the whole picture. It just doesn't stack up. And you know what? I've got some really great friends. I've got friends who love me. I've got friends who care for me. I've got friends who kind of look out for me, even when I'm sick on my bed at home last week on my birthday, who come around and go, oh, you should probably see a doctor, or my wife who, who... did everything for a whole week so that I could recover and be here this morning. I have great friends, but I also know that I have friends on the list above who've let me down. And I I know that for certain because I've been one of those friends from time to time. So it's not that I'm accusing my friends of anything, but I know that I've been that person. Friendship is complex. But Jesus said this in John 15, and this is where we're going to spend our time this morning. If you've got your Bibles It's on page 635, John 15. He says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have now made known to you. This morning I want us to help you see that friendship with Jesus is the foundation of all good friendships. That friendship with Jesus is the foundation of all good friendships. If we want to see our friendships grow and flourish and thrive, we need to look to Jesus first. And if we want to deal with the hurts and the pains and the frustrations that we have with our friends, let's pop friendship with Jesus as our priority and all the other things flow from there. And I think there's three things that I want us to see this morning. Firstly, that friendship with Jesus brings greater security. Friendship with Jesus brings greater security. I think inherently, as humans, we're a little bit insecure. I know I'm a little bit insecure. I, I take my insecurities into life with me. And one of the ways that plays out is I have a friend who is not really my friend, but in certain social situations, I like to call my friend because it makes me look bigger. And then, uh, his name might come up and say, oh yeah, I know him. He's my friend. I like to name drop him every so often because it makes me feel better about myself. And actually, children do it all the time. Um, but they, do, they hide it behind the hero of their dad. The amount of times I see the 10-year-old children I'm teaching say, oh, my dad, he knows that guy. Oh, my dad, he's, he, he's that. Because they're, they're his hero, and they want to feel secure in him. It's, it's part of what they do. And I, I guess that's kind of why I do it as well, because I want to feel secure. I want to feel like I'm, I'm bigger than I am. I want to feel like I've got more friends. And when Jesus says here that we, we're called servants. So kind of, we're called servants. We don't even know what the master's doing. It doesn't really help my security complex. And yet the truth is that compared to Jesus, we should be called servants. We should be called servants. Jesus is the master of all things. He's the one who turned water into wine. He's the one who walked on water. He's the one who gave sight to the blind. He's the one who cleansed lepers. He's the one who is the firstborn from amongst the dead and is now seated at the right hand of a father in heaven. Compared to him, I should be called servant. That's, that's the reality. There is no, there's no doubting that in comparison, I am nothing. So when Jesus says here, but I have called you friends. That's really significant. Because we should be servants. We should be, compared to Jesus, servants. But instead he says, I have called you friends. And that should give us great security. That the master of all things, that the, the one who is holding the heavens and the earth and is, is making my breath come out of me right now, he says, I'm going to call you friends. He's not just my Facebook friend. I don't just have to name drop Jesus every so often. No, that's not the way it's going to work. Jesus is saying, I am your friend. He, I have set you free from sin, and I'm going to be your friend. And so when we put Jesus first, we see that we have a greater security. The second thing we see is we see a greater love. Friendship with Jesus not only brings security, but it, it brings us a greater love. Verse 12 says, Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lay down his life for his friends. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, who knew no sin, willingly lay down his life so that we could be called friends. And if you're sitting here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus, you've never responded to Jesus, and you don't know him as your great security and friend, then this is the gospel that Jesus, God in Christ, in the man of Jesus, walking on this earth 2,000 years ago, came and laid down his life to pay the price for all the things that we've done wrong. And the Bible calls them sin. It's all the things we've ever said, all the things we've ever done, and all the things we've ever thought, which fall short of God's impeccable, perfect, flawless standards. And Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to stand in their place and take the punishment, which the Bible says was death, because I'm laying down my life for you, my friends. In John 10, he says this, he says, no one takes it from me, referring to his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus willingly took our punishment. He laid down his life so that we, even though we were unclean, even though that we were unrighteous, even though that we were sinful, even though that we'd fallen short of God's high standards, He laid down his life so that we could have that chasm, that rift repaired. And he stood in our breach and he said, I'm going to lay my life for you so that you can be called friends. And that really really is a miracle that Jesus, who knew no no sin, would come and lay down his life for us. It says this in Romans, Romans 5, verse 7. It says, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. That's quite significant. Well, maybe perhaps for a good person. But God shows his love for us that even though whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, you might, you might risk your life for a good person in a li- crazy life-saving moment. Well, they're a good person. I'm going to go for it. But Jesus, who looked upon us and he saw the brokenness and the kind of shame in our lives, he said that even though... Even though these guys are sinners, even though they've fallen short of God's standard, even though I can't, I can't even look at them right now, I'm going to lay down my life for them because I want to be their friends. If we want to know the greatest of all loves, we look to Jesus first. If we want to feel loved in our friendships, we put our friendship with Jesus first. John Stott says this, moved by the perfection of his holy love, God in Christ substituted himself for us sinners. God substituted himself for us sinners. That really is a miracle, that God has substituted himself in place so that we could have friendship with God. So we see that friendship with Jesus gives us a greater security. We see in that friendship the greatest love of all times. But from that, we see the greatest example, the greater example. So, and this is good news, but it's also challenging. Look at the way that verse 12 starts. And this is where I want to bring us. You know, if I was to, if I was to end the message just here, that would be be lovely, wouldn't it? Oh, Jesus brings me security, or Jesus brings me greatest love. That's really, that makes me feel really good about myself. And then he says this in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Jeez, that's hard. Jesus laid down his life for me whilst I was still a sinner. And what's he saying? He's saying that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus, in all his divine power, stepped down into humanity and gave up everything he had so that we could be friends. And he says, this is my example. This is what I did. Now you do likewise. You know what? Friendship with Jesus is costly. It's going to be costly. It was costly for him when he gave everything on that cross. When we were looking at the Philippians series kind of 10 or so weeks ago, Matt preached on having good friendships. And one of the examples he used was of the relationship between Paul and Timothy about the friendship which they enjoyed. And in Philippians 2, it says this, as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who, will genuinely, who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, have, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as it will, go, it will all go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I will come also. The relationship which Timothy demonstrated to Paul was that he was setting a Christ-like example, but also a Christ-centered example, because he put the friendship that he had with Paul above his own interests. The church in Philippi were, were doing that. They put their own interests first. They were self-interest. They were selfish, essentially. But Timothy's example was Christ-like and Christ-centered because he put his time into Paul first. He laid down his own interests and said, I'm going to do what Paul wants me to do. And I think there's a few just kind of simple principles that we can draw out from that. Firstly, that in investing in friendships um, by putting... Uh, the interest of our friends first. Invest in your friendships by putting the interest of your friends first. And that requires laying down some of your own interests. It's not always going to require that, but sometimes it is. Sometimes you're going to have to say, I'm not going to put this first because I'm going to look at what my friend says and I want to cultivate that. So I'm going to lay, lay this down for now. I'm going to put their interests first because that's what Jesus did. And I'm going to follow his example. Secondly, I think that Paul and Timothy's friendship was one which cultivated faith. And I think we should look for friendships which cultivate faith in each other. If we have lots of friends and all that does is destroy our faith and we talk bad about church and we talk about all our frustrations and, and, we, and we just kind of build each other down, that's not a helpful thing to be doing. We need friendships which kind of cultivate faith within us. You, know, you need that friend who says, let's pray about that. And you kind of go, oh, really right now? I'm going to watch TV in 10 minutes. I've had it all the time. I think, oh, right now? So actually, I need those friends with me because it helps me cultivate faith. But also, we need friends which we can maintain by serving each other faithfully. Do you know, it's from friendship with Jesus first that gives us security, which demonstrates his love and gives us an example for us to follow. And there is a, there's a clear order in terms of the importance of which friendship we could follow. If we take a look back at Dunbar's model there, and we think about all those different levels of friendship that we can have, I, the logical question which can follow is, is, Dan, how on earth am I supposed to find time 
to cultivate meaningful friendships. Do you know, it wouldn't be unusual for me and Hannah to sit down with our diaries and think about some of our closest friends and say, right, we'd really love to get some time to meet, and we're, we're just almost in June now. It wouldn't be unrealistic for me to go, well, the earliest we've got is some point in mid-July. It's just the reality of the life we live in. It's not an unusual situation. And, and so finding time to maintain friendships is hard. It's more than just saying, I'm going to book you in the diary. It's about sharing lives with each other. And so my number one principle that I think we should take away is that this should be our residing theme, that Jesus first, that above all things, sitting above all these different levels of friendships, the, the five, the 15, the 50, the 150, and the acquaintances and the, the Facebook friends, is that Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first. So he is the cornerstone and foundation from which all our other friendships can function. And unfortunately, and I speak to myself as much as anyone here, what can happen is we end up diarizing Jesus we end up saying, well, I go to church on Sunday morning, and I go to life group uh, once a month or once a week, and you know what, I even read my Bible each day, and great, I've, I've got Jesus in his slots, and I've diarized him, and I'm maintaining my friendship with Jesus. And all those things are really important. How can, on earth can you hope to maintain your friendship if you don't come to church on a Sunday and spend time with Jesus, or read your Bible each day? How on earth are you supposed to find them? But actually, the relationship with Jesus first is much, much deeper than that, because in his love, he laid down his life for us, and he requires the same of us. The relationship we have with Jesus is an ongoing, sustained love partnership, which should affect every moment of every day in which we live, because he is giving us the breath in our nostrils. It's not about a series of rules to follow. It's not about coming to church each morning and singing a few songs and going home and thinking that was nice. It's about knowing that you are called into a friendship with Jesus. He says, I call you friend. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you've never met him and you don't know what I'm talking about, that's what Christianity is about. It's about knowing that Jesus loves you. It's about knowing that Jesus extends a hand and says, hey, you can be my friend because I've laid down everything for you. Just come and bring your life to me. Secondly, I think that we should identify those in our close five and cultivate those friendships. Now, if you have a partner or you're married, your partner should be in that category, okay? They shouldn't be outside of that category. There's not a, another layer. They are in your closest five. For, for, for those with families, it's go, that's going to be most of your five taken up already. And that's where you should be investing your time. And my encouragement there is be open and honest and vulnerable. If you, if you want someone to be close, it's never going to happen is, is as soon as you get to that moment where you're going to share something, you raise the drawbridge, you batten down the hatches, you say, well there, that's my personal space, you can't deal with me. If you want to cultivate close, meaningful friendships which build faith and make us feel like we are on mission with Jesus, we need to be open and honest and real with each other. And that's painful, it's costly. I imagine some of the conversations which Paul and Timothy had as Paul brought some of the things Timothy was doing. He said, oh, I want you to do this. That must have been painful and costly. And they should be difficult conversations at times. But that's how love works. It sees the best in people no matter what's going on. And it seeks to build, build people up. But also, as a church, I think we should look at our 15. 
look at who's in that 15. Do you know what? I think it would be quite easy for my 15 to be made up of my buddies in the church. And those 15 of us, people I spend most my time of. The problem is, if every person in this room made their 15 up from people in this room, whilst we'd have a really lovely club, we wouldn't go anywhere. There'd be no missional focus. And that's how my, my kind of encouragement today is look at who you would call your 15. And look for a healthy mix of Christians and non-Christians. You want people who are going to build your faith. You want people who are going to encourage you and stand by you at church. But you also want people who you're going to outreach to. You want people who you can share the gospel with. Because if we all just have 15 of us from within this room, we're not going anywhere. No one's ever going to come in through those doors because we've shared something of Jesus' love for us. And so get some people in that group who are part of your 15 because Jesus laid down his life for you. And he gave everything for you so that he could call you friend. And so, as we bring our series on good living to a close, my encouragement to us is, is this. Let's look to Jesus first. Let's call him the friend above all friends. Let's put him as our priority. Let's put him as the one we invest our time. Let's put him as the one which when we wake up in the morning, we say, Jesus, I just love you, and I, I'm thankful, and I'm grateful for the fact that you laid down your life for me, even though I didn't deserve it, and you've called me into partnership with you, and you've called me friends. Let's have that as our core as we go forward as a church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I thank you that uh, in your son we see a model of friendship which we are supposed to follow. That he laid down his life for us, even though we didn't deserve it, so that we could be called friends. Father, I thank you that that is a perfect example which we are to follow. To lay down our lives. And Lord, I recognize that it's really hard. Jesus, you had all the divine wisdom and power, and I'm just a broken person, but I'm going to try and lay down my life for my friends because it's the model you set before me. Well, I pray for those here this morning who feel hurt by their friendships, who feel like their friends have let them down and inwardly they're harboring bitter thoughts and resentment or, the resentment, or those who feel like they've just got no friends. Lord, I pray that they would turn to you I pray that they would see that in you they find the greatest security and love. That in you they find all the hope and all the joy which you have set before them because you laid down it all for them and you say, hey you, you feeling disappointed, you feeling lonely? I am your friend. That's what the scripture says, it says, I am your friend. So Father, I pray for them right now that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and just release them from those feelings. And that they would feel an intimacy and a closeness with you, the one who laid down everything for them. Amen. Amen, Rich.